everybody, and welcome to the Makers of Minnesota podcast, where we talk to cool people doing cool things. I'm here with Chris Montana from Denord Social Spirits, and I think I first interviewed you, I was thinking it had to be like four or five years ago in the Hubbard Broadcasting Studios. I think your wife came in too at that time, and uh, you weren't Denord Social Spirits at that time, you were just Denord. And I also feel like maybe, was the coffee liqueur like the second release that you had? Because I feel like we were talking about Freya then. No, the um, so the coffee was was a little later. Um, gin was our second. Then we went to apple. Then we went to coffee. And then we went to to uh, to whiskey. Right. So if we were talking Cafe Frida, I mean, the thing is, is that I'm always talking about Cafe Frida because I'm always talking about Frida. And so <laughs> it's highly likely that we were that we were discussing Frida anyway. It's funny because somebody gave me the the apple spirits. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I got it, I got it for my birthday and I thought it was really great and I was excited. But my first feeling was kind of like, huh, I wonder like when I'll drink that or what I'll do with that. And it turns out I've just been drinking it on the rocks throughout the summer. Yeah, I mean, that's we we have a guy, his name is Daniel Victory, he's a cocktail guy, cocktail genius. But people ask me, like, well, how do you consume the spirits? My answer is usually in a cup. Um, <laughs> you know, if maybe on the rocks and sometimes with a lime nearby if it's the gin. Uh, but yeah, I think I think that's how spirits should be. They should be made so that way you can just drink them and they don't need a, a lot of uh, lipstick on them. Yeah, I don't allow myself Frida in the house, <laughs> which I know is terrible to tell you. But if I have it in the house, then I'll drink it like at 10 o'clock at night on the rocks, like as like a aperitif. And then I can't sleep because I love it so much. So I will only allow myself to order it in a bar because then I feel like I've still got the drive home. Like I just, I can wait for that coffee to get through my system a little bit because it's so delicious. I have no self-restraint when it comes to that product. That is high praise. Um, really I'll is. Take that. And oddly enough, she she actually didn't have anything to do with the with the creation of Cafe Frida. Louise Borman, who we affectionately call Frida, a former teacher of mine. Um, but I think she does take very personal people's reaction to Frida. Um, I imagine both good and bad. And so I think that, you know, as proud as I am to hear that, I think she'd probably be equally proud. So your story has changed a lot. Um, When we first talked, you were one of the only African-American people in the distillery business, certainly in the North, but generally across the South, too, you were like with a handful of folks. Um, Since then, your entire uh, operation was burned down during the uh, murder of George Floyd and the ensuing riots that happened following. You have expanded, rebranded, retooled. Do you want to just give like in your own words, a recap of sort of this renaissance of your company? Because it's been a pretty phenomenal story. Yeah, we've gone through a lot of changes. And I think that you know, at the core, we've stayed who we were. And a lot of the changes that we went through were really about just getting closer to who we were. Um, I was at a, and you, you talked about the fact that there are many more um, black and brown uh, brand owners and distillery owners out there now. I was at a, a summit of them uh, for the nearest Jack Advancement Initiative. 
And I was talking about our branding. I was talking about our original branding. And when we started the company, because originally it was my wife and I started it. Um, she eventually would shift back into her real job or, or only focus on her real job. And I would keep going with Denord. But uh, when we started it, we didn't have any marketing professionals or anything. And so we, we thought, well, we got to look like a distillery. We, we need to look the part. And to, to us, that meant it needs to be kind of old looking because that's what distillery bottles look like. And so we went for this 1920s apothecary feel. And, you know, I liked those bottles, but they weren't us because, again, we weren't it's what we didn't do. And what a marketing professional may have done is said, well, who are you? And like, what is your brand? And what is, what does your brand mean? We didn't do that. We said, we more were saying, well, what do people want to see us like? And um, when we went through the rebrand and, and which started in 2020, um, I think what we were doing is we were asking the right questions. They're like, who are we really? And then it was Denord Craft Spirits, which of course no one ever remembers the craft spirits, but the change to social spirits was that's who we actually are, right? We we are about people and we're not just about people in the social sense that, you know, having a drink is obviously best done with, with company, but but also in the fact that we want to have some social impact on the world. And 2020 really solidified that, you know, we call it, that was the kick in the ass and we needed it, right? Because we needed to stop trying to act like a distillery. Yeah. Right? Try to act like somebody else. And we needed to just take, take a step back and be like, we just need to be us, right? Authentically us. And so, you know, we did go through um, a pretty significant rebrand and, and a lot of the product names changed. Cafe Frida did not change because I'm not crazy. Um, but, uh, but yeah. And, but again, we didn't change, like we didn't change what was in the bottle. We didn't change, you know, how we were doing things. Um, but we wanted to be a little bit more authentic. We've obviously had some, some different opportunities come our way since then. And the business now looks a lot different than it did before. And primary to that is the existence of the Denard foundation. And so now we have this kind of two pronged approach at both the social side of the impact that we want to have and the social side when it comes to actual spirits. Do you want to talk about the foundation? Yeah, the foundation. Um, and, and I think a theme that people should get from the path of Denord is that we don't always know exactly where we're going. Right. And just to be honest about that, it's not that there was a grand plan for all of this. It really was, we reacted to things as they came to us. And perhaps if, if I had had some more business acumen, maybe I would have planned some of this out, but we really didn't. And the foundation is the best example of that. And that it was formed uh, kind of by accident, largely because we were too successful with a fundraising campaign to try to get some money into other people's hands. And where we tried to raise 30 grand, we ended up raising about a million dollars. And we wanted to have a tax efficient way to get that into, into the place that needed to go into some of the other businesses to help with the food and supply bank um, and then other activities that the foundation would do in the future. And so that's why the, the Nord Foundation was born. But up until that point, I would often be at, um, you know, industry events, American Craft Spirits Association, you know, things like that, talking about what we were doing to try to diversify the industry. And my answer there was, and I still stand by it, right? I mean, for the size that we were and are, um, it was that we are going to be a door for people. We're going to be a place where people can come in and they can get their start. And, you know, if you if you could find some quote from me from the days of yore, I'd be like, and I hope that some of those people will come in and they'll become my competitors at some point. Uh, the problem was 
that's really, really small ball. It only affects people who are just right here who happen to already want to be in, in the industry. And even so, the odds that that's really going to make that much of a dent in the spirits industry as a whole, slim to none. And post 2020, we're like, we can't just talk that. We can't just go around and say it because it sounds good. Right? Um, I think it comes from a cheap trip song, cheap trick song. Talk is cheapest when the story is good. We're yeah. like, and we realized we were telling a good story, uh, but we weren't doing as much as we should be doing. And so that's where I think we looked at the foundation and said, you want to know what? We need to put our money where our mouth is and we need to actually act. And so we ran the community market for a couple of years, uh, free of charge, uh, giving out food to people who needed it. Um, that followed on the food and supply bank. And then we had the grant program. We gave out $15,000 grants until we ran out of money uh, and to other companies that needed it. So that way they could get uh, back on their feet. And now we're faced with, I think, the most interesting and challenging piece, which is what do we do that has some long-term like generational effect? And I think that within, and that's going to look like different things in different places, but in Minnesota, I think that it has to do playing again back to that social piece that there are a lot of resources out there for people who are interested in chasing their business dreams, just like I did. Uh, but the path to them isn't exactly clear and there isn't a nexus that joins them together. And I think that there's a role that we may be able to play there. And so that's, you know, if you think about from making, you know, grinding corn and making booze at 3 a.m. in the morning, you know, before going back to the lawyer job to now, you know, doing some of this uh, with the foundation and, you know, we're, we're putting vodka on Delta Airlines. There is not a linear path that connects all of it. Uh, but I think it took us a little while to get there, but I think we are more us than we've ever been. Yeah. And you, I don't like, I don't know if this is the right word. Cause it's like, you're not like a kid, but you have a real, uh, feeling of emotional maturity that's coming through to me that I don't know. Um, you just seem really confident and really comfortable in your space. And I think that comes through certainly experience, but also tragedy, trauma, uh, community, meeting different people along the way. You have a real confidence about you. And I think you were confident when I first met you too, but that was more about the product. This is more about the lifestyle, the dream, the people that you're bringing along with you on the journey. Well, uh, thank you. Um, I think uh, I think I've had some really good teachers and some of them have been people and some of them have been events, but I've had, you know, and if you, if you met me before, I probably won't get through a conversation without talking about teachers. Um, but you know, I've had teachers who asked me to really look at myself and say, like, are you who you think you are? Or are you playing somebody else? Are you playing the version of yourself that you think people want you to be? And, you know, there's a story, I won't bore you with the entire story, but it has to do with perspective and six blind men touching an elephant and trying to describe it. And I carry that with me every day because that value of perspective and understanding that, look, as you could be the best that you could possibly be at whatever it is you're trying to do. You still only have your own perspective. And as a small business owner, starting off just me in a room um, and growing and adding more people in, 
I've had to learn how to work with other people who are better than me at a number of things that I used to try to do and feel like I was the coolest dude on the planet because I was doing everything. Well, now I work with other people who are much better and I get to learn from them. And I think that I draw confidence from them. I draw confidence from those experiences. Um, and, you know, like I said, it took us a long time to get to actually know ourselves. And I think that, you know, knowing oneself is, is a very difficult thing to do, but it took us a long time. But now that we're here, now we don't have an excuse. Now that we know who we are and we know what we're supposed to be here doing, we got to go do it. And yeah. that I think is much easier than that journey to figuring out who you actually are. I think too, for businesses that make it to a five-year anniversary, they say if you make it there, that then you're likely to continue on. Mm -hmm. But many folks don't make it to the first five years just because there's so many challenges along the way. But I do think it gives you, all of a sudden, it's not just about you. It's not about your dream. It's not about the product you're making because you're probably literally not making it anymore would be my guess. It mm -hmm. is about you know stepping in to figure out who you're going to take with you on this road. And the impact that you have in your life, in your family, amongst the people that you talk with every day. I remember laying in bed one night when we had had our company 10 years at this point, and we were thinking about selling it and just like really thinking like, wow, many of these people have been working with me since they graduated from college. Mm -hmm. You know, they have bought their first house. They've had their second child. Some of them have been divorced and are now are single moms. Just the weight of who we carried along with us and how to transition if we did sell the company in a way that was going to work best for them. We made a lot of decisions along the way that as our personal family, we could have made more money. We could have, but mm -hmm. we left that business and we left the sale of the business that eventually did happen with our employees being employee owners of the company we sold it to, of their benefits carrying forward, of their vacation time carrying forward. Many of the folks that worked for us still work for the company we sold it to because they're employee owners. And at some point they'll get to cash out. Mm -hmm. You know, we took some risks along the way to make that happen. But I feel so good about that as someone that had a business that allowed us to do the things we wanted to do, gave us a little bit of a safety net for moving forward into our retired lives. I do air quotes because I don't think people really ever retire. Um, but all of those employees, for the most part, were taken care of into that next step. I feel real proud of that. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, one, being a good person, just treating people the way you want to be treated uh, should be the baseline for anything you do. I I do get and I and I appreciate the profit motive because I think it drives a lot of really good things. But I think it can also, as you mentioned, you know, you could have made more money. It can also drive you to do some really bad things to the people around you. And so there is the altruistic side of it, which is just be a good person. Uh, but I think there also is just a straight up and down business side to it. I think that it is when if people feel valued. I mean, I remember the jobs that I've worked everything, fast food, car wash, all kinds of things, worked in Congress, been a lot of different things. When you feel valued, then you're you're invested. Those relationships matter to you. And, you know, this job market or really any, people can move. They can go somewhere else. They can work anywhere. They don't have to be wherever they are. And so if you aren't providing, you know, a place where people feel valued, um, 
I don't know that you're going to survive. And you certainly aren't going to be able to build on the kind of institutional knowledge uh, and expertise that a company naturally generates as it goes through its life cycle and has its ups and downs. And we, you know, we have the benefit of people who've been with us for years and years who have seen us do a lot of different things. I mean, we've, you know, Maria, who runs production now, as you say, I don't make anything anymore. She does. Uh, she's seen us go from a company that was entirely based on our cocktail room to one that didn't make any alcohol at all and instead made nothing but hand sanitizer to now a company that has no cocktail room and is entirely in distribution and then is going through this next phase where we're going to be you know, dealing with a restaurant. I mean, she's seen all of that. And so it's not just me. I'm not along you know, just, just by myself, but I don't think she's here if you know, this is just a job where she's punching the clock. Yeah. I think there has to be a relationship. She has to know that she matters. There is too a reckoning, I think, that's happening because there's been a lot of companies, not none that I need to name necessarily, but, you know, they talked the talk and they really looked like they were progressive until it really came time to put their money where their mouth is with their employees. And then they fell kind of short. We're seeing as companies are trying to decide whether to bring back workers and what workers need and workers really loving the flexibility of a hybrid model. And it's all very interesting time for the workers. We're seeing unions uh, like we haven't seen since the early, since the 1920s, really their rebirth, particularly in hospitality. Can we just talk a little bit about, so you don't have the cocktail room anymore. You're now completely under distribution going into uh, the airline industry and little bottles, which is a big leap for a lot of folks. Our friend Heather Manley did it with Crooked Water and mm -hmm. she's had such a good experience. Tell me about the restaurant piece and what that looks like. Well, because of, and this, this gets a little bit into the weeds here, but because of the way that our business is set up um, and because of some of the limits that Minnesota law has built in, um, we went from, not we basically we produced too much we grew too large yep. to have a cocktail room and so we you know as we saw that coming we thought well there's no reason for us to try to reopen the denord cocktail room as it was because we we're going to pass that production cap and then we're just going to have to shut it right back down again and that's the kind of whiplash that we don't want to do to people and so we started coming up with you know our, our plan b which requires us to get a little creative because as an owner of a distillery, I actually am recruited by law from having a restaurant, but my mm -hmm. wife is. And so there's a way that we can together uh, pull this together and create the, what we call the spiritual successor to the Denord cocktail room, but you know, do it in a way that is legal. And that doesn't just give us a platform for us, but gives us a platform for other brands as well, because the cocktail room uh, laws in Minnesota make it so you can only sell what you make. And even beyond that, there's some more specific laws that folks have put in about how you make what you make, um, which are you know fairly, fairly tight and strict and, and restrain people from doing a lot of different things. And so by doing it this way, um, we are going to have to buy our own alcohol back um, from distributors, but we're also gonna have the freedom to bring in products from other diverse owned brands other Minnesota brands and create a platform for them as well. I've met a lot of, I mean, I've met hundreds and hundreds of distillers in the time I've been doing this. And 
their stories are very similar to mine. And I think it would be really great. And I'm really looking forward to having a place, a physical place again, where people can say we went to the Nord, but also having a place where they can go to the Nord and, and they'll be able to try products from the Nord, but they'll also get exposed to some new stuff and some interesting stuff that people are putting out up there. Like, Sounds last great. We had a sweet potato vodka. Well, I've I've had a, a sugar beet vodka. Yeah. And I know that I've had a potato vodka, so I can't think of sweet potato, but I can totally see it working. Yeah, Delta Dirt Distillery out in Arkansas. It's a Black-owned farm distillery, right? First Black-owned farm distillery in the country. And they're making a sweet potato vodka. That's great. But that's the type of product that people aren't going to get exposed to. So it's exciting for us to be able to take things like that and bring them up to the Twin Cities. When will it open, ideally? So um, the building's under construction right now. Um, it's going into the Coliseum building, which is at 27th and Lake Street. It's a historic building, um, and it's designated as such, um, and was also burned in 2020. But it's slated right now for late spring. And, you know, we certainly want to be open by uh, early summer, and we really want to be open by Juneteenth of next year. Do you have the name? So right not... I can I can preview you as long as as long as we get away with it, right? Is that we're going to keep it pretty simple. We're going to have the Denard restaurant, the Denard cocktail room. It's it, the building, the space is kind of split in two, and so there there's kind of two businesses in one. So one will be the cocktail room, one will be the restaurant, but they'll both just be Denard. Makes total sense to me. Um, it's great to talk with you. How is your wife? Is she still teaching? No, she is a vice president of development for um, BP's solar arm. Wow. BP's. Yeah, she's kind of a big damn deal. And this is why I say, like, it's a good thing that she kept on with her real career, because while I was just losing money and, you know, chasing a dream, <laughs> she was out there actually being the breadwinner and, you know, keeping food on our table. Um, and we also have three kids to chase around. Um, but no, she's doing well with that and continues to climb that ladder and, you know, may well be present in the United States at some point here. I hope it should be the first woman. It's about time. No, that's not uncommon either that in a maker couple, you know, that one person kind of keeps the steady corporate job that provides the benefits and the stability, um, as it were, from a financial standpoint, while you grow, we certainly mm -hmm. did that. And then Eventually, I did um, leave my job probably a year too early, and it created a lot of stress, but we got through. Yeah, it was a stressful moment when I left mine. Uh, you know, for a kid who grew up pretty poor to leave a, a job at a reputable law firm and yep. in Twin Cities was not easy. And it certainly wasn't easy for her, having dealt with me through law school, because I wasn't the most pleasant person during law school. Yep. To say, oh, no that, you're going to leave it? Um, but yes, I mean, it's, that's, that's the thing is that, um, I look at, at the journey of the Nord and particularly my, my time with it and, and what I've been able to do. And it's like any small business, it is so tied to the family. And if you have that kind of support, I mean, neither of us came from money, so we didn't have that going for us, yep. but simply having that support and having, you know, a partner who was like, fine, if you're making this career change, that's not just a sacrifice for you. That's a sacrifice for me too. Because that means I don't have as many choices as I otherwise would have. So to have a partner who's willing to do that and be along with you on that ride is a huge asset. And I think, but, well, I don't think I know, but for that, there is no Denora today. So yeah. I, you know, if she ever listens to this, Chanel, thank you. 
She will. I'll send it to her. <laughs> Chris, it's been great to catch up. I'll look for the cocktail room debut, the restaurant next year. Any new spirits on the horizon that you're excited about? No, we're trying to keep it. We're trying to keep it uh, to the ones that we make. I think that, yeah. and particularly now that we have this opportunity to sh to highlight some other people's spirits, I think we're going to try to just keep doing what we do well and let everyone else do the other things as well as they can. I want to encourage people to try your gin too. I think your gin is underrated in terms of when people talk about good Minnesota gins. I think it's really fantastic. Well, it's that's my baby. That's uh, I spent a lot, a lot, a lot of time on that gin, and I can't imagine going back to try to create another one like that. But um, no, I love that gin. And again, we have a lot of people who are like, well, we're not gin drinkers, and then they try it and they're converted, but they're not because it's a new world, which is, I have a lot of respect for new world gins. We do not make one, right? It's not the, it's, it's a juniper forward gin, but it's made differently. And I could be on here for the next hour that you don't have talking about how we make it differently, but um, you know, it's won its awards too. It's got all the gold medals that it needs, but, but yeah, it's, it's also, you know, it's a challenge sometimes to get that in front of people when they see that you have an apple and a coffee liqueur, they want to sip that instead. But yes, I thank you for that plug because we really do prominence. Um, it used to be called Fitzgerald. Now it's called prominence because of the prominence of that juniper. Um, I just, I think it's really delicious. And when people talk about local gins, it's always on my list and high to, because I think it is different. I think it has a different flavor profile and it makes a fantastic gin and tonic. So there you go. Odds are that's exactly what it was designed to do. So I love it. Trying all those gins. I needed to have a gin that you could taste in a tonic. Success. And that's what, that's what we were aiming for. I love it. Well, we'll catch up soon. I'll look forward to seeing you around here when you get the cocktail room going again and I'll come sit in your restaurant and we'll have a toast some gin. I'm looking forward to it. Always Thank a pleasure. You. Okay. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye. Cheers.